Episode 15, Elizabeth Stowe Higgs. Elizabeth was born on the 22nd of June, 1824, in Alderminster, Warwickleshire, England, to John Stowe and Anne Kite, and came to America with her parents when she was two years old. The family settled in Utica, New York. Elizabeth grew up there, and Utica is also where she met and married her husband, Thomas Higgs. Their marriage was on May 22, 1844. They continued for some time to live in New York, having four children born there, but also losing two of them in death. The little family next moved to Davenport, Iowa in 1854, and a year later they were joined by Elizabeth's mother, Anne. From a history written by Elizabeth's granddaughter, we read, Grandpa, Thomas Higgs, and Grandma, Elizabeth Higgs, were investigating the new religion, and Grandpa was sure it was the true religion. Grandma was very ill, and two doctors had said she could not live. She asked Grandpa to go and get one of those miracle men. Grandpa Higgs walked to Iowa City where the Mormons were camped. Grandpa told them what he wanted. Grandpa Higgs was convinced this was the true church. He was baptized in the Iowa River near Iowa City by Elder Edward Bunker and confirmed a member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints by Elder William Walker, standing on the bank of the stream. Thomas returned the next day, having been ordained to the Melchizedek priesthood and held the office of an elder. Grandma asked him where was the miracle man. Grandpa told her he was the one and then told her what had happened and gave her a blessing. A miraculous healing occurred. The next day when the doctor came, she was up. The doctor said, if I didn't know better, I would think one of those miracle men had been here. A few days later, another elder of the church, John Van Cott, visited the Higgs family. He baptized Elizabeth Higgs that evening and confirmed her a member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Within ten short weeks of their baptisms, the Higgs family, along with Mother Anne, were on their way to the Salt Lake Valley. They eventually joined the William B. Hodgett's wagon train. Elizabeth was very sick crossing the plains. She had just recently given birth to a little boy who had died, and it had left her crippled with an illness they called milk leg. Milk leg, also called iliofemoral thrombophlebitis, is an inflammation of the femoral vein, the principal vein of the thigh, along with the formation of a clot that blocks the channel of the vein. The condition may occur shortly after childbirth. They got some crutches for her, and she walked 300 miles with them. Her mother, who crossed with them, helped with the children. Elizabeth walked most of the way across the plains. When F.D. Richards and Daniel Spencer encountered the Hodgett wagon train in September of 1856, they gave the following favorable report. They were at this time about 10 miles behind Captain Martin's company. Brother Hodgett's company, though generally pretty heavily laden, were in good traveling condition, making excellent progress. By October, however, it was a very different story. From an account of the trip, we read, Wednesday, October 8th, we camped in sight of Fort Laramie. 
leaving Fort Laramie on the evening of October 9th. From this time on, John Hunt's and William Hodgett's wagon companies kept close behind or a short distance ahead of us all the way to the South Pass. Sunday morning, October 19th, we left Deer Creek and in the afternoon and evening crossed the North Platte, where the two wagon companies assisted us greatly across. Soon snow was eight or more inches deep and the temperatures ranged from six to 11 below zero. The two handcart companies, as well as the two wagon trains were stranded with their rations dwindling fast. Tired saints were using frying pans and tin plates in a vain attempt to clear enough snow to pitch tents. Some made themselves as comfortable as they could sitting on rocks and pulling their children close around them and spent the bitter cold nights under the open skies. One of the things that kept them going was the hope that rescue companies from Salt Lake would be able to find them. From the journal of John Bond, a 12-year-old fellow member of the Hodgett Wagon Company. Day after day passes, and still no tidings of help coming from the westward. The bugle is sounded again by John Watkins to call all the saints together for prayers, to ask the Infinite Father to bring food, medicines, and other things necessary for the sick and needy. After prayers, all are ordered to bed. Bond describes how some died, lying side by side with hands entwined. In other cases, they were found as if they had just offered a fervent prayer and their spirit had taken flight while in the act. Some died sitting by the fire. Some were singing hymns or eating crusts of bread. Captain Martin stood over the grave of the departed ones with a shotgun in hand, firing at intervals to keep the crows and buzzards away from hovering around in midair. Bond heard Captain Martin's response to a sister who asked if he thought the relief party would come soon. Yes, Sister Sermon, I am as confident as that I live that the President, Brigham Young, will and has dispatched the Relief Valley boys to us, and I believe that they are making all the haste they can. A few days later, the first of the rescuers came with news that provisions and clothing were near. After the relief party had arrived in full force, plans were made to get the companies on the move again as quickly as possible. The Hodgett's wagons were emptied to make room for the handcart pioneers. Those who were stronger still had to walk. Elizabeth and Thomas's daughter, Mary Susanna, who was seven or eight years old at that time, recalled they arrived in December of 1856 after a really terrible trip and were marooned in Emigration Canyon. We were stuck there in the canyon. The snow was too deep and they did not send enough teams from the city to take all the wagons in, so some had to stay there in the canyon for several days until the animals could make a return trip. They drew names to see who would stay behind, and the Higgs family was in the second group. Mary continues, those of us who stayed for the second trip were rationed a biscuit a day until the biscuits gave out. Then we ceased to eat. There were one or two of the oxen left, but they were so thin there was no meat on them. I remember coming down Big Mountain, she said, 
because it was so slick the oxen had to sit right down and slide down. And I remember coming up the other side because the wagon tipped over and we children had to sit on a quilt in the snow while they turned it right side up again. The Hicks family was among the last ones to enter the valley that season, arriving in December. They were taken to a Brother Spencer's home on Christmas. The family lived in a small home behind President Brigham Young for seven or eight years. Thomas was a carpenter and helped build the trusses for the tabernacle. He also served a mission to New York and returned to Salt Lake bringing his brother James and family. He and James built the first fire engine in Salt Lake. Elizabeth and Thomas were parents to 11 children, four born in New York, one born and died in Iowa. The rest were born in Salt Lake City. Seven or eight years later, the family moved to Manti, where Thomas helped with the construction of the Manti Temple. Mrs. Elizabeth Stowe Higgs, aged 89 years, a pioneer of 1856 and wife of the late Thomas Higgs, passed away on the 27th of February, 1913.